Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. Starting as early as this week, the Bay Area could be next on the list when it comes to requiring everyone to wear masks indoors, no matter of their vaccination status. Here's San Francisco Health Director Dr. Grant Colfax. We are very vigorously exploring um, uh, issuing an indoor mask mandate um, and in discussions with uh, surrounding counties and health officers with regard to that. While Colfax says masks can help stop the spread of the highly contagious Delta variant, he says vaccinations are still the best answer for getting out of the pandemic. Eight of the nine Bay Area counties are recommending that everyone wear a mask indoors. Solano County is not yet making that recommendation, saying that it's focusing its resources on getting more people vaccinated. So far, L.A., Sacramento and Yolo counties are the only ones in the state to require masks indoors for everyone. While health officials across California are considering whether to implement measures like mask requirements again, the state is seeing a slight uptick in the number of people getting vaccinated. The LA Times reports from July 18th to July 24th, vaccination rates were up about 5% from the previous week. All told, about 53% of Californians are fully vaccinated, and about 61% have gotten at least one dose. This mirrors a nationwide trend, as according to the Biden administration, the U.S. has seen a steady increase in the number of vaccination doses that have been administered since the week of July 5th. A clinical trial is underway at UC Davis Health on a third shot, a booster for the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Timothy Albertson is a pulmonologist who has treated many COVID patients. He's also a professor of internal medicine at UC Davis who led last year's trial and this new one. Researchers expect to be able to determine just how often people should get boosters. They'll be monitored over the next year or two for uh, breakthroughs in in COVID and in antibody levels. My gut feeling, my prediction is that there'll be annual COVID shots, just like there are annual influenza virus shots in the future. UC Davis was among the health providers that conducted the trials that led to emergency use authorizations for the Pfizer vaccine last year. 225 people took part, and 60 of them will be part of this new clinical trial of the booster, getting either a third shot of the vaccine or a placebo. Only the researchers will know who gets which. At the end of the trial, as with last year's, those who got the placebo for the test will be given the actual vaccine. With wildfire smoke now a year-round problem in many parts of the state, Ventura County has just launched a first-of-its-kind alert system to notify farm workers when air quality conditions may pose a risk to their health. KCRW's Matt Gillum reports. The Environmental Protection Agency scale measuring air quality ranges from 0 to 500. The higher the number, the more dangerous. This new system from the Ventura County Air Pollution Control District is geared towards farm workers and field supervisors. 
When air quality reaches 151, which the federal scale classifies as unhealthy and bad enough to trigger health effects in some people, the agency will now send out a text alert in Spanish and English to people who sign up. Ventura County officials say they developed the alert system after a Central Coast labor rights group first proposed the idea. State regulations require employers to provide protective gear to workers when air quality reaches the unhealthy level. Studies show breathing air laden with toxic particulates can raise the risk of serious medical issues like heart attacks and strokes. Ventura hopes its alert system becomes a model for other communities and gets key health information to the people who need it in real time. For the California Report, I'm Matt Gillum. Turning to housing now, nearly half of L.A.'s renters owe back rent, and some tenants hit hardest by the pandemic may not be able to get assistance from the state. That's according to UCLA urban planning professor Michael Manville, who, along with fellow researchers, conducted a survey of L.A. renters. They found some tenants who paid rent on time throughout the pandemic could still be struggling. Manville says that's because they put themselves in debt to do so by borrowing money from credit card companies, payday lenders and even friends and family to cover their housing costs. You can imagine this and in many instances being a situation where someone who was actually extremely diligent about staying current on rent um, is now facing a lot of high interest debt. Manville says he's concerned about the way California's rent relief initiatives are set up because they don't do much, in his view, to help people who have already paid their rent but may owe money to people other than their landlords. He says distributing cash directly to tenants rather than through their landlords, like the current program is set up to do, may help, as struggling renters will be able to pay back whomever they owe money to. We're going to go to the San Joaquin Valley now. Among that region's community of Punjabi Sikhs, there are many reasons people have been vaccinated against COVID-19. I didn't want anyone in my family to get sick, so I got it first just to see how it, like the outcome would be. Then like one by one, my family got it until it was my grandma's turn. I just checked Google and talked to my family. They already got it. Everybody was vaccinated already, and I was the one left. So I said, okay, if you guys are doing good, I can also do good. I don't want to die. But there is another reason many are getting their shots. Valley Public Radio's Carrie Klein takes us to a Sikh temple known as a Gurdwara in West Fresno. The Sikh Institute of Fresno looks much like it did pre-COVID. At this three-story, salmon-colored Gurdwara, people in saris and t-shirts stream in and out of the main worship hall, while a trio of men playing harmoniums and tabla drums sing hymns known as kirtan. But on this day, classrooms that are typically used for Punjabi school have been repurposed. Sitting in one of them is 13-year-old Navleen Kaur. A lot of people are, uh, you know, getting sick. And for them, we are getting vaccine. So we'll be uh, okay. We'll not be sick. Kaur is in the observation area of a pop-up clinic. And she just got her first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Her cousin Anmol Kaur, also 13, sits behind her. Why did you want to get your vaccine? I want to be sick, and I don't. I want the coronavirus to end, so that's why. These cousins are among more than 1,500 people who've been vaccinated at sick temples from Fresno to Bakersfield. Many of those clinics were organized by Nandeep Singh, the executive director of the nonprofit Chikara Movement. These mobile clinics are one way Singh's organization is bringing culturally competent virus outreach to his community. 
We've uh, had billboards. We've uh, commissioned uh, Punjabi music songs. Um, so we've really tried to sort of an all uh, hands on deck approach. Very little public health information is available in Punjabi, even though it's one of the most common languages spoken in the valley. And so many of its speakers are essential workers in agriculture and trucking. Like any other group, Singh says his community members have questions about the vaccine. But many, especially Punjabi speakers, feel their concerns just aren't being addressed by health authorities. If you're only telling people vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate without answering their questions, people start digging in their heels after a while because they they feel like they're being shamed into a particular action. Singh characterizes them as vaccine curious rather than vaccine hesitant. So does Dr. Kenny Bond, an assistant dean at UCSF Fresno. I find the Punjabi community wholly fairly accepting of it. They have less resistance to vaccines. Bond runs the med school's vaccine clinics, including a traveling van that hosted today's pop-up and hundreds of others around the county. So are these clinics having an impact? It's hard to tell. Government agencies classify race in broad categories, like Asian. So it's unclear what the vaccination rate and infection rate are specifically among Punjabis. Plus, vaccinated people can opt out entirely of self-identifying their race and ethnicity. Nevertheless, Goody Ranu believes these clinics are important. She's an educator at this Gurdwara, and she says pop-ups like this one can be the deciding factor for those who are curious or on the fence. Because sometimes you don't even think about it. Like, my friend is having it, I'm going to have it. Especially if that friend speaks your language and visits the same Gurdwara that you do. For The California Report, I'm Carrie Klein in Fresno. And that story was reported in collaboration with the Documenting COVID-19 Project at Columbia University's Brown Institute for Media Innovation. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice fulfill his oath, or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, switching gears, subsidies for electric vehicles have been hailed by environmentalists as a key clean energy policy. But do EVs actually reduce emissions? Professor David Rapson teaches economics at UC Davis. Earlier, we spoke about why he thinks there are unintended consequences when governments offer these kinds of incentives. Electric vehicles have been adopted by the environmental community as one of the main solutions to climate change and one of the main avenues for carbon abatement. And a lot of the policies relating to the promotion of electric vehicles uh, are concerning to me because they're not, they're not setting the right incentives. Give me an example of a policy here in California. I'm sure a lot of EV owners will know these, but for the rest of the folks who don't, what are some of the policies that we see here that are 
aimed at either creating demand or artificially inflating demand, as you say, for EVs? If you're concerned about carbon abatement, then you want two things when it comes to transportation. You want fewer cars on the road and you want the cars that are on the road to be driven less. And there are two policies that you can choose from here. There's a carbon price, which makes cars more expensive and miles traveled more expensive. And then there's subsidies for EVs, which make cars less expensive. So they promote having more cars on the road and they do nothing to cause people to drive less. And subsidies, unfortunately, have been one of the main policies that have been introduced to promote vehicle electrification. And why don't electric vehicles always make sense in the context of dealing with climate change? Yeah, well, well, this is actually a little tricky to talk about in California, where there have been very successful efforts to decarbonize the electricity grid. And that's just essential for making electric vehicles clean, is having clean electricity that goes into them. But California is an outlier in the United States and globally in terms of the cleanliness of the grid. And so in California, having an EV is going to be cleaner than having a gasoline-powered car But in most areas of the world, particularly anywhere where there's a lot of coal-fired electricity generation, that's just not going to be the case. And unfortunately, right now, 60% of global electricity production is fossil generated. So what do you want people who are looking at your research, what do you want people to take away? Climate change is a long-run game. And we're very early in the process of transitioning our economy to a low carbon economy. And right now, electric vehicle policy seems to be embedding a lot of hopeful thinking. A lot of things have to go really right for this to work out the way that people who care about the climate want it to work out. And I think that's underappreciated. EVs have been branded as zero emissions vehicles, and that's not true. And the uncertainties around a transition to a zero carbon electric grid, which is what matters for EV emissions, are really quite high. There are a lot of uncertainties. And so it feels today that electric vehicle policy is getting a little bit ahead of itself and that we're assuming a lot of things are going to be a certain way in the future, but really there's more uncertainty. That was UC Davis professor David Rapson. And that is the California Report for this Monday, August 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Support for the California Report comes from SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Beck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care on the web at chcf.org voices. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. 
Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.